Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you open up your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9, today we'll finish Mark 9. I want to remind you to keep Pastor Chet and Pastor Zach in prayer. They're probably in the air heading towards Austria right now, looking forward to meeting with uh, one of our former Patmos students there in Austria who has a church and some outreach potential that we might be doing in Europe. So keep them prayed up, be back in a few days. The Lord has indeed been good to us as a church. Interesting to me that as we finish up Mark 9, we'll be in verses 30 to 50, so if you'd put your finger there. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture as we now find the disciples coming back from the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain where he was transfigured. The glory, the Shekinah glory, fell upon him. And they got to meet with Moses and Elijah. They're now on their way back to Capernaum. On this journey, they'll travel down through the Hula Valley. They'll pass by Bethsaida and Chorazin. And they'll come back to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it almost appears that Jesus is kind of having a little sidebar moment with the disciples. Something that we might be tempted to gloss over. It's kind of like those conversations you have in the car when you're getting ready to go someplace, right? You're on the way out to the freeway. You just kind of talk about a handful of things. There's a massive handful of things in these last few verses. But everything contained in the scripture is there for our instruction, our correction, for reproof, to guide us in righteousness. And so these things are things that matter. Would you pray with me? Father, we come and ask that you would take away every distraction. Lord, everything that might beset us, Keep us from running the race with endurance today as you want to speak to us as your church. As we'll come to the communion table at the end of our time in your word, Lord, would you prepare our hearts? Would you bring repentance to those who are struggling even this morning in sin? Would you cause them to flee it, to hear the word of the Lord today, that we might be transformed and changed? And so bless us as we read your word, impart to our hearts your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 30 here in Mark 9, and some things that truly matter. And then they departed from there, from where? They're in northern Galilee. They've been up in Caesarea Philippi. So they were in what we would call modern-day Lebanon. They're journeying down towards the Sea of Galilee. They departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it. Now, that seems strange, doesn't it? 
But I want you to notice how Jesus approaches this. There is a time and a purpose for every season under heaven. Every single thing in the life of Jesus matters, including the things that he does not want to do in the moment. He's been healing. He's been feeding. He has moved in mighty power as the Son of God throughout the region of Galilee. He now wants to move towards the real objective. You see, sometimes we're tempted to think that the cross of Christ is just simply punishment. But it was actually God's plan all along. It began in the Garden of Eden. That scarlet thread that runs throughout all of Scripture. The day is approaching when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will lay down his life a ransom for our sin. He had things to do. He had people to see. He had words to be spoken. For he taught his disciples and said to them, now they're on the road, they're just simply walking. It's a casual conversation. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. Now if you're a disciple, I want you to stop for just a moment, which you all are, by the way. You are disciples of Christ. One of the titles for a Christian, for a believer. So put yourself in this conversation. You're walking with Jesus. You've been with him now for the better part of two years. These are the final weeks of his life. And now all of a sudden, he says something to you that you don't want to hear. You believe that there is a kingdom coming and perhaps you're going to be pretty high up on the food chain in this new kingdom. The Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. But they hadn't got a clue. Notice what it says. They did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask Jesus. First, we see this incredibly solemn, prophetic pronouncement. This was not new news. They should have known why Jesus was here. These are largely Jewish believers. They understood the Old Testament fully. They knew what the psalm said about Jesus, Psalm 22 specifically. They knew what Isaiah the prophet had written. They knew what Zechariah had written. They understood fully that the Son of Man one day was going to die. But they didn't want to hear it. The Lord is now wandering with them. The miracle-hungry crowds were now beginning to create interruptions in the plan. Let's face it, who doesn't want to see a miracle? Amen? Amen? I mean, I don't know about you, but miracles are pretty awesome. That's why they're called miracles. You don't see them every day. These people didn't have social media. They didn't have cable TV. There were no sporting events to go to. So when miracles happened, 
it was a pretty big deal in the region. And many people went for the sheer entertainment value of it. There were people who followed Jesus for the wrong reason. Can I ask you a question? Are you following Jesus for the right reason this morning? Are you following Jesus for the right reason? Or are you hoping to get something? You hoping to see something? He taught. It's an interesting play in words here in these first couple of verses. It's in in the Greek language what we call an imperfect tense. It means he began to teach. This is something he's going to reinforce for the next months. I didn't come here to make life easy. I didn't come to heal every sickness. I did not come to make every blind person see. I came to establish a kingdom. And that kingdom is eternal. Part of the thing that infects the church today is we have our focus on the wrong kingdom. We're looking at the kingdom of this earth and not at the kingdom of heaven. And so we get overly concerned with the kingdom of this earth. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples to make sure that you understand which kingdom concerns the king. And it is a heavenly kingdom that is to come. It was future then. It is future now. That kingdom is still coming. Jesus came to establish his kingdom, not to resurrect Jewish superiority, not to cast down the Roman government, not to take care of every social ill. He came so that we might be saved from our sin. Important to note here, because Jesus is going to reinforce these things in the remainder of the passage. What we see here is the disciples are actually confused. Judas has not been revealed yet. There's a traitor in their midst. Peter, James, and John have just seen Jesus transfigured. Maybe the rest of the disciples whom they're about to hook up with are a little bit bummed that they, did not to get, they didn't get to go to the top of the mountain with Jesus. Maybe they think there's some favoritism going on. There's all kinds of things that come into play in this passage. All of the disciples are confused. Not even the favored three, Peter, James, and John, have got this. And remember, Jesus has just spoken to Peter at Caesarea Philippi after Peter's great pronouncement where he declares, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Within about ten minutes, he's going, Get thee behind me, Satan. I've come for this reason to die, and you're trying to stop that. Do you know Peter took that all the way to the garden? 
Peter took that thinking all the way to the garden. You know how we know? Because he chopped off Malchus's ear. Peter's still thinking, oh no, not on my watch, Jesus, you're living. <laughs> Jesus came to die. It's the sole reason he came to this earth. All of the miracles were simply to testify that he had the right to die for our sin. That he was in fact God. That God died on Calvary's cross. But he came to die. And we can't miss that. As we come to the Lord's table at the end of our service, we are celebrating the death of Jesus on the cross. We're not just celebrating our new life, we're celebrating what it cost to purchase that new life. It cost Christ his life. It cost God the Father his Son. And so Jesus is trying to focus the disciples now. He's saying, you guys are all messed up. You, you need to understand exactly why I'm here. This isn't about them being great. It's about the greatness of the sacrifice of the cross. Notice how this continues. Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Very important principle of what it means to be a disciple or discipleship. Verse 33, and then he came to Capernaum. So they've taken this walk. It's about 35 miles. Could be made in a very, very, very long day if you were walking briskly, but it, they probably lingered a while. The Jordan River flows through the middle of the Hula Valley. And so they likely came from the springs of Banyas today down along the Jordan so that they would have water the whole way. And maybe they stopped at Bethsaida or Chorazin, just to the north of Capernaum. But now they have come to that city in which Jesus kind of made his temporary home with Peter's mother-in-law and Peter. It's the home of James and Andrew. And when he was in the house, notice they say in the house, so it's pretty clear that this is Peter's mother-in-law's house. It would be the house that Jesus was known to be in frequently. He asked them, and I love this, what in the world are you guys bickering about? Now, it's a little modern English. It's the J.G. Nearly inspired version. What was it that you disputed among yourselves along the road? Who are you guys haggling over? The Lord was hearing it. But they kept silent. Were they silent because they were embarrassed? Highly likely. Were they silent because they were uncertain? Most likely. But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves, here it comes, who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to sit at the right? Who's going to sit at the left? Who's going to be Jesus' second in command? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom is what it literally says. 
little known understanding of the original language here, it's almost as if they're saying, you know, I'm pretty close to Jesus. You know, so if he's maybe taking a vacation or something, I'll be Savior today. Who's going to be the greatest? And he sat down. And I want you to pay very close attention to what follows. He called the twelve, so all of the apostles, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. The way up is down. The exact opposite of the world that we live in. It's not through power. It's not through position. It is not through prominence. It is through death to self and serving everyone else around you. Now, if you go to Indeed and you put a job notification on there and you say, we want somebody that's willing to die to themselves and serve everyone else, you're going to get zero applicants to that job posting. Nobody's applying. And yet, as far as God's kingdom is concerned, the top is the bottom. And the bottom is the top. One who's willing to lay down their life for their friends is at the head of the table. Well, that wasn't very appealing to the disciples. After all, they'd left their very prosperous fishing business. That's a joke. (laughs) These guys were, they were day fishermen. They would sell a little bit of their excess catch. It wasn't like they had it all. This was, they were not the tip of the spear, okay? You wandered around through the region of Galilee, you could find thousands of guys that were as brilliant as the apostles, as well-connected, thriving in their life. Peter's mother-in-law's house is less than 200 square feet. Now, to put that into perspective for you, your garage is probably 400 square feet or so. So take half of your garage, that's this house. It wasn't like anybody was going, man, I'm living fat city right now. Most of the homes in Capernaum, when you travel there, they're 10 by 10, and you share your wall with your next-door neighbor. It's like that's who invented condos, okay? So here they are. They're in this little tiny house. Notice what Jesus says. And the rest of chapter 9 is in this context. And he took a little child, sat him in the midst, And when he had taken him up into his arms, he said to them, Jesus, 
being a rabbi, is now about to sit down and he's got a child on his lap. That's the context of everything else that's said in this chapter. He's sitting there with a living demonstration of everything he's about to say. I want you to become like this little guy. I want you to understand what it means to really follow me. So they get an object lesson. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see, you you guys are all worried about who's going to be greatest, and I'm telling you it's about becoming like a little child. It's about putting away your preconception. Some of you can probably remember the wonder of being a child. The first time, for us guys, the first time you ever played in mud. It's like dirt, water, fun. Amazement happened at a very base level. Every piece of information was something new. Your life consisted of mostly joyous things because it was simple, unencumbered, unhindered by the things of the world. And then you grew up and you found out about chores. And then, oh, I've got to go to school. And then you graduate. Next up, Burger King. You realize that half of your paycheck went to somebody called the federal government. And life wasn't quite so fun anymore, and the innocence of it was lost. And Jesus is saying, I want you to get back to the place that you need to understand me from. You need to have a child's heart and a child's mind to understand my kingdom. Because it's not about this stuff. It's not about your position. It isn't about who is greatest. Peter could be right now in his mind in this passage going, well, what about what happened at Caesarea Philippi? When I said, you are the Christ. I get it. I got the deep truth. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. James and John, they were the sons of thunder. Right? Oh, yeah, you want us to be in charge, don't you? I mean, you don't ever want to be in jeopardy. You you can kind of imagine, even Judas is going, look, dude, I got the cash. They all probably had their reasons why they should be first. And Jesus is saying, which one of you wants to be a servant? Which one of you gets it right? Which one of you is willing to drop your reasons that you think you're already ready? What about you this morning? What thing in your life 
are you exalting right now that makes you better than the person sitting next to you? What is it that you're hanging on to that gives you an air of superiority? What is it that's in your life that somehow makes you think that you might actually deserve to go to heaven? Because the truth of the matter is there's not one person in this room, including myself, that deserves to go to heaven. I deserve to go to hell. That's what I actually deserve. Still. Still. I still deserve to go to hell. But by God's grace, with childlike faith, I have believed on the only begotten Son of God the Father and what he did on Calvary's cross. And because of that and that alone, one day I'll step out of time and into eternity. That is so simple a child can get it. The rest of this stuff sometimes gets people very confused, just like the disciples in this passage. That's what's going on in their hearts and their minds. They're trying to figure it all out on their own terms. Truthfully, James chapter 4 gives us a picture of the result of why wars and rumors of wars and these things, where does this stuff come from within us? It's because we desire to be on top. We want our own way. We want what we want and we want it now. And Jesus is saying you need to drop what you want and you need to be what I need you to be. They were fighting over something they should have never even considered. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? I'm thanking God I'm even going to be in the kingdom. Much less have any role. Why do you suppose scripture reminds us better to be a doorkeeper in the kingdom of heaven than a king of this earth? Reminds me of George Mueller. Spent his whole life ministering to orphans. There in Bristol, and as he gathered them, ultimately he would gather thousands of orphans used his own money, preached a simple gospel message to them. Thousands upon thousands of them became believers in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He lived his life completely in poverty, and when he died, he died in poverty. And I'm not suggesting that all of you need to do this yourself, but I'm telling you, if you want to know what it is to be great, when he died, England came to a halt. Thousands of people lined the roads to just watch his casket go by because he had been willing to lay down his life and be whatever Christ wanted him to be so that other people would come to faith in Christ. That's why we're doing what we're doing in El Salvador. That's why Pastor Chet is in Austria right now with Pastor Zach. That's why all those churches exist in Liberia and in Uganda and in Colombia. The reason we're doing that is so that people can simply come to a simple relationship with Christ. 
We need to stop mucking up the water. Notice what happens next. You think this is a problem in the church today? Verse 38, now John answered him saying, Teacher, we someone, someone who does not follow, would you please circle the word us? Notice it does not say you. It says us. They ain't doing church our way. They do not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we told them, stop doing church because you do not follow us. We forbade him because he does not follow us. And Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Why is that important? Church, why is that important? Because this is the danger of cliques and clubs. This is the danger of denominations. This is the, this is the danger of racial churches. This is why there shouldn't be a black church and a Japanese church and a Spanish church and a white church and name it church. It should be the church, Big C. There's only one church and we're all part of it. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what the Bible teaches. And so these guys are going, well, you know, you got to cast out demons the way we do it. Can I tell you there's a lot of churches that don't do church the way we do church? Some people really get dressed up to go to church. Some people get really dressed down to go to church. There's a couple of baseball hats in here right now. There's some beanies. Oh, horror of horrors. You know, I got an email one time that we baptize people in a pool. Surely that can't be right, because Jesus never used chlorine. Well, some of all y'all need a little more cleansing than others. You ever seen what happens when we dunk some of you? It's like, ooh, that was... Good thing you came today. Man, the church is full of this. It's like, well, they do it this way. Praise the Lord they're doing church. Amen? Look, we got enough things in our own house to keep us busy. Amen? I think we need to stop pointing fingers at other people. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's like, don't forbid them. Maybe you do it differently, but he's doing it in the name of Christ. And even if he's unsaved, the name of Christ still has power. Yes. So get back to the right way of thinking about this. 
Quit the clicks, quit the clubs, stop making big deals out of things that aren't big deals to God, and let God work in this world. That's the truth. This has been a problem since day one in the church. Don't miss this point. There's a lot of different ways to do church. And not every way looks the same. Doesn't sound the same. Are there solid doctrines that everyone should follow? Yes. But would you leave God to sort out those things? And you serve Christ with a whole heart as a child. Think of him in a way you have a heavenly father and you want to please him. And don't worry about what other people are doing. We spend so much time worrying about what other churches are doing. We're all over the internet. We're on the blogs. We're, it's like, well, you know, they're doing it this way. Who cares? Who cares? My job is to preach Christ and him crucified till he comes. That simple. It's not hard. Teach the word faithfully till he comes. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit until he comes. Seeing people grow in sanctification till he comes. Not to worry about, oh, they wore robes. They've got a collar. Look, if I had to wear a collar, I'm probably going to be hindered from speaking. It's just not me. God knows that about me. And so by his grace, he's allowed me to be here with you guys who wear baseball hats. So if I don't have a collar on, you can't say anything. Because you got baseball hats. You're wearing a t-shirt right now. You understand? Don't we get hung up on meaningless things sometimes? And we miss the main thing. There's a king with a kingdom. And his kingdom's coming. Amen? Verse 42, as we wrap this up. The communion team is about to come out and they're going to be distributing the elements of communion. And I'm going to ask you to hold them until the end and we'll partake together. And I want to take this moment to speak to some of you who may be here today who've not ever invited Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. Notice what I just said. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That means master. Why am I saying that right now? Because if Jesus is not Lord, could it be that maybe he's not Savior either? If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then you've got part of what Jesus wants to do. And maybe for someone today, you need to repent of your sin because Jesus is not Lord. For some of you, maybe you've never actually invited him into your life at all. Today is the day of salvation. If you will believe on the name of the Son of God, you'll be saved. You need to invite Christ into your life. 
because what we're distributing right now represents the broken body and the shed blood of King Jesus. It's not to be taken lightly. In light of that, now let's read the remainder of this passage. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus talked more about hell than he ever did about heaven. A very sobering possibility here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Frankly, I am sick to death of people telling our kids that, well, you're not really a boy, you're a girl trapped in a boy's body. I am sick to death of people profiting from child pornography. Maybe they need to read this passage because a millstone at that time would have been at least 2,000 pounds a ton. And Jesus has said to that person who knows him, has the faith of a little child, it would be better for you if a millstone were tied around your neck and you deposited it in the deepest part of the ocean than you bring offense to one of these little children. Jesus cares about how we live our lives. His chief concern is your eternal destiny, your salvation. But once you have believed on his name, you are to live like a Christian. That is the context of this passage. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, but with distinction. He's not telling you to go cut your hand off. He's saying you should be willing to if you can't get control of that practice that is sinful in your life. We need to deal decisively with the issue of sin. Why? Notice what he says. It is better for you to enter life maimed than having two hands than go to hell into a fire that can never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life lame than rather having two feet and be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Can I just tell you, Jesus spoke of both heaven and hell as realities. And while hell was created for Satan and his angels, it is also the final resting place of all who do not know King Jesus. And you will not be dead there. You will be very much alive. That's why he says the worm does not die. You're not going to just simply vanish. Your candle won't be snuffed out. You are going to be in hell for eternity. The good news is, no one has to go there. Grace is a free gift if you're willing to receive it. And that free grace will produce in you the desire to do what God asks you to do. So that he will be your Lord 
where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better to enter the kingdom with one eye having, than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Where's the child? Still sitting in the lap of Jesus. Jesus was unafraid to preach hellfire and brimstone with a child sitting in his lap. Now, you may not like this, but Jesus didn't care, and neither do I. It's the truth. The truth is, you have a choice to make in life to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved or reject his grace and perish eternally forever and it won't be to party city. It will be to hell where you will forever be separated from the gracious love of God and you will be tormented eternally. That's loving Pastor Jesus saying those words with the child sitting in his lap. Wow, that's going to that's going to ruin his idea of no it's not. It's not going to ruin the idea of grace, it's going to emphasize the idea of grace. The reality of hell emphasizes the reality of grace. It's what it does. When I realize what my alternative is, it's not hard for me to go I surrender, Lord. I surrender all to Jesus. I freely give. That's the choice that everyone has to make. Jesus purchased the ability for you to believe in him on the cross and be saved. He does not want anyone to perish. He has no desire for anyone to even contemplate this reality. But in order that we might know that it is real, he says it three times with the child sitting in his lap. A child didn't walk away, you know, totally destroyed forever because he heard about the reality of hell. That child needed to make the decision to follow Christ as well. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice seasoned with salt. As salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how then will you season it? Have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. You get your eyes on your own condition before the Lord. We spend way too much time focused on our comparative understanding that we are better than somebody else. And while that may be true, you are not better than King Jesus. And that is to whom you need to compare yourself. Until your works are full righteousness, then you have no part in his kingdom. That's why you need the grace of God. That's why I need the grace of God. That's why I can't meet that standard with my own merit. And so Jesus emphasizes here exactly why the elements you hold in your hand are so important. Because that's not your body, that's his body. 
That is not your blood shed for your sins. That's his blood shed for your sins. As Jesus finishes this chapter with this child in the midst, we need to remember that hell awaits unrepentant people. Over and over and over and over and over again, to the point that Jesus in John chapter 3 says simply, it is enough that you believe. It's not your works. It's never been about what you can do for Jesus. It's always been about what he did for you. It isn't about you giving everything so that you can earn your way to heaven. He gave everything so that you can have the gift of heaven. He's not asking you to crawl up some steps to a cathedral on broken glass on your knees. He's asking you to lay down your life and serve him with a whole heart and let him direct your life as Lord. He's asking you to be a living sacrifice, which is simply your reasonable service and something that we should all do because of what we received through the grace of the cross. I know some of you are going, wow. I didn't know this was one of those churches. Oh, we are one of those churches. I believe that hell is real, and I don't want a single person to go there. And I believe that heaven is a free gift of God by grace through faith. And anyone who will believe on his name can be saved. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.